2: And now back to Lifeline. All right, we're back to time, 610 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. Two lines open, one i am going to add some more substantial, credible um, evidence to why we oppose the Black Lives Matter as a Trojan horse that you just heard Michael Medved lay out as basically a new religion of socialism leading to communism. And you can follow us on our study on Friday night at grace-bible.com, 630 on Friday night, Uh, grace-bible.com, our live stream version. And you can get in with your questions and comments during that time because we are deconstructing uh, Marxism to demonstrate that it is alive and well in our country and it is incompatible with the gospel. But listen to this. This is basically a mission statement on the part of Black Lives Matter. And listen to how similar it sounds to the present left socialist agenda. The Black Lives Matter global network is a powerful is as powerful as it is because of our membership, our partners, our supporters, our staff, and you. Our continued commitment to liberation, there's the word, liberation for all black people means we are continuing the work of our ancestors and fighting for our collective freedom because it is our duty. Every day we recommit to healing ourselves and each other and to co-creating alongside comrades. There's your, there's your there's your there's your your dog whistle, allies, dog whistle, and a family and family, a culture where each person feels seen, heard, and supported. We acknowledge, respect, and celebrate differences and commonalities. We work vigorously for freedom and justice for black people, and by extension, all people. We intentionally build and nurture a beloved community that is bonded together through a beautiful struggle that is restorative and not depleting. We are unapologetically black in our positioning and affirming that black lives matter. We need to we need not qualify our position. You really do to love and desire freedom and justice for ourselves is a prerequisite for wanting the same for others. We we completely disagree with that assumption. But listen to this. We see ourselves as part of the global black family, and we are aware of the different ways we are impacted or privileged as black people who exist in different parts of the world. We are guided by the fact that all black lives matter, all black lives matter, regardless of the actual or perceived sexual identity. Now watch how it turns. Regardless of the actual perceived or sexual identity, gender identity, gender expression, economic status, ability, disability, religious beliefs or disbeliefs, immigration status or location. We make space for transgender brothers and sisters to participate and lead. We are self-reflective and do the work required to dismantle There's your militant term, dismantle cisgender privilege. What does that mean? Male privilege and uplift black trans folk, especially black trans women who continue to be disproportionately impacted by the trans antagonistic violence. We build a space that affirms black women and is free from sexism, misogyny and environments in which men are centered we practice empathy. We engage comrades, there's your term again, with the intent to learn about and connect with their context. We make our spaces family-free and enable parents to fully participate with their children. We dismantle, here it is again, the patriarchal practice that requires women to To work double shifts so that they can mother in private, even as they participate in public justice. In other words, the reason women are working double shifts is because of the patriarchy. Where's the connection there? We disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure. We disrupt. The Western prescribed nuclear family structure required by supporting each other as extended families and villages. There's Hillary Clinton right there that collectively care for one another, especially our children, to the degree that mothers, parents and children are comfortable. You notice the absence of males, the absence of men, cisgendered men. You notice the absence there. So it's not really that black men lives matter. It's just that black lives matter. Men are a tool, but the goal really is exactly as we have stated, an anti-patriarchal, anti-biblical model of governance. And so I state, before I go to the phone lines, if you advocate this, you do not have a biblical worldview. If you advocate this, you advocate poverty. You advocate an anti-thriving cultural life. Now, the goal of this system, because people ask me, how is it if communism has so drastically failed in, uh, in, in Russia and in China that they want to do it again? Because they're under a strong delusion that you can actually have a thriving world that operates contrary to the God who set up the parameters for a thriving world. And the reason we know it won't thrive is because um, welfare didn't thrive for black people. It did not cause black people to thrive. Black people were extremely left behind because of the structures implemented in the welfare system, which removed the male. No male incentive, incentive to have babies, but no incentive to build character inside the family so that they can actually be free. They were slaves. This is true. I know all about it. I was in it. I saw from generation to generation to generation the immoral platform of not getting married, having babies out of wedlock, and many abortions to boot and living off of masses plantation and taking care of us in the welfare system. And this is exactly what Marx wants to create as a global agenda. If you follow the Marxist Communist communist Manifesto all the way through, he wants to take away all your property, he wants to take away every kind of private industry, and he wants it all to be run by the state, and he will take care of you. You got to work, but you don't keep your own check. You got to work, but you don't own your own house, own your own car, own your own business. Please believe me, that's where this is going if socialists get in. And we are already operating out of that socialist. Paradigm. Let me go to line number three before I take a break. Line number four, rather, and talk with Ross in San Francisco. If Ross is there, Ross, are you there? Let me go to line number three before I take a break. Yeah. Line number four, rather. Yeah. Than can you uh, cut your phone down? So if Ross is there, Ross, are you there? Oh uh, yes. Your phone down, brother. Yes, I'm here. All right. What's going on?
0: Yes.
3: Yeah. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Yeah, I just wanted to be brief and uh, get back to the issue of get back to the issue of police killing killing black men. Mm-hmm. Po- police killing black men. Mm-hmm. See so now, now, I can know, talk with you, that, but you got
2: to cut your radio down because the feedback
3: is killing. Yeah, I, I just want to get back to that because I I, 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 I had. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I just want to get back to the issue of uh, police killing black men, mm-hmm. and, and, and and you know try to be brief. I just wanted to say that the the police department is is being paid with you know our tax dollars to to serve and protect. But when it comes to black men, that's not the case.
2: In some cases, that's not the case.
3: Well, in many cases, that's not the case. I would agree with that, too. But the sad part is that, that, you know, you, you went through all those stats about blacks killing whites, whites killing blacks, and blacks killing blacks, and all that's true. But one of the stats that is not even kept by the FBI is how many black men are killed by the police. They don't even keep stats on that.
2: I, I so think you know, other people are do are, are are actually keeping stats on that, Ross, and I think it's pretty clear that the disproportionate killing of African Americans by cops is a, a a condemning statement that really does need to be addressed. We will I will affirm you, and I will affirm anyone around the very blatant evidence that African Americans have been be, being killed by uh, by uh, police officers at rates that are alarming and necessarily then need to be held accountable, which is. Uh, Partially what is taking place today. I I don't think there's anyone that would argue that regard, but that we are expanding the conversation to Black Lives Matter, I think is absolutely essential to discuss because let's say it was just you and me, Ross, and we were dealing with the plight of the African-American. And I actually am conscientious that black people are killing black people a thousand percent times more than cops are killing black people. And I say to Brother Ross, Brother Ross, we got a bigger problem than the cops killing us. It's us killing us. That doesn't negate the fact that I am aware that cops are killing us, too. But I am not going to pretend that the problem can be solved by us dealing with the cops that are killing us at 2% or 3% compared to us killing each other at 93%. How can we actually solve a problem where we're looking at a 2% variable over against a 93% variable when the real problem is over there? If I really care about blacks, if if, if we're going to use the term Black Lives Matter. Well, well, I mean,
3: my point is, okay, the police, like I said, they're being paid Black people are killing black people for various reasons, but police are being paid to protect and serve. And you can call someone out to your house and end up being murdered yourself by the police. I agree. But one, one, one of the things is I wanted to point out is that the sin matter. Now, there, like you said, there's good police and bad police, but I'm not sure so sure of that because... As a pastor, you know there's sin by omission and commission. And these so called good police standing around seeing all these corrupt police killing people and doing things and saying nothing. Well, I mean that's sin by omission when you say I pastor? agree with you.
2: That they're not good police.
3: But one one other thing though, if you can uh can get Roxy the social worker back on the line because she was very articulate and very on point in helping the community understand the problem and re- resolve the problem. You know, Roxy, you talked to last. Uh, yes, yeah, she's,
2: she's a member. She's a member of our church. I don't actually happen to agree with her premise, though.
3: Oh, oh, okay. Well,
2: she just was very clear and on point, and you know, I mean.
3: We That's your opinion,
2: and you're worthy of your opinion. One of the things we want to make sure that we keep doing is keeping uh, keeping uh, freedom open for us to have those discussions. And what she's talking about has merit over in that category, but what I'm dealing with is the bigger the bigger picture that I'm dealing with. I'd love to continue uh, talking, but i got to take a break. Like I said, I affirm you in the areas in which we can substantiate empirically the facts about cops killing blacks so that we don't blow it up and make it something bigger than it is. Also, we don't want to diminish it. But I do take issue with, um, with, with faulty premises around what's going on in the African-American community. We have to own our own responsibility in ma- many areas. And I do not fear the cops. And my sons don't fear them, and they've been black for a long time, African American, if you will, for a long time, because we've understood that we live in a world of sin, and we live in a world of discrimination, and we live in a world where bad things happen to people. This is where you got to know the grace of God and walk in the grace of God in Christ so that you don't fear evil, you fear God. And then he gives us grace to be able to negotiate this world. doesn't mean that we can't take on those issues, but don't fear I got to take a break. I'll be right back. 2 lines open 1 AAA 367 5329 1 AAA 367 5329. I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. And we're back to time 6:30. We've got 30 minutes uh, going before us. In terms of social workers, bless our heart, there are many social workers even in our church and social workers are just like police officers, they're like doctors, they're like lawyers and nurses. And what that means is they're not monolithic. They all have different views. This is what lens you are operating out of that helps you actually to see the salient matters that are at hand. What I'm dealing with right now, ladies and gentlemen, is the Trojan horse. I'm talking about what really has been leading the African-American community to the left and off the rail for dozens and dozens of years when it comes to a biblical worldview and therefore properly thriving in our world. That the larger narrative of the left is actually not painting an accurate picture of, of uh, the African-American community. This is why we're dealing with Marxism on Friday. Uh, one of the fallacies is that black folks are just having problems all over the nation like we haven't thrived, like we haven't succeeded, like we haven't grown, and we haven't prospered. That is a false narrative as well. We have prospered significantly, and we are accountable for that prosperity. We need to actually do a better job. That's a lot of African Americans are being honest about, of, of self um, self-reflection and admitting and owning our own problems instead of becoming victims. That's part of the false narrative of the neo-marxist agenda. The solution does not come from victimization or trauma or anything else. This comes from a self-analysis of where we are and by the grace of God learning how to move up out of bad patterns of life in order to experience a thriving, a thriving, identity, a thriving life, and that will require repentance and faith in Jesus Christ and obedience to the Word of God. If we don't obey the Word, it doesn't matter what policies come down in Washington, it's going to be all bad. Let me go to line number, let's see here, one for Nelson in Redwood City. Nelson, what's your question or observation today?
1: Hey, I, I do actually agree with you about the extremism of the left. And when you were reading um, that, um, I think, I don't, I don't know, Michael Medved, I, I got issues with him bringing up. But anyways, I'm going to stay on track. And, um, but he sounded just like Dr. Boyce Watkins. Are you familiar with him?
2: No, I don't. But w- w- all Michael was, was uh, he. Is, all he did was give an excerpt about the hypocrisy between uh, not allowing a Jewish community center, I mean, by, by not allowing a Jewish community center to have, a, um, have a, a memorial service when they were allowing the whole, you know, thousands of, of people to protest in Black Lives Matter because he understands that this is an ideological preference. So what's the point?
1: Oh, so it wasn't him you were reading. It was somebody else. But they did allow a Jew- Jewish funeral, but they but they broke up the black funeral, too. So you got to be fair when you reported. He's not going to tell you that.
2: <laughs> um, no, no. I anyway. already know that across the board. But that all depends on where. Um, right. Because they don't care about churches. That would be my argument. Michael's not that Michael's not doing that. He's, he's speaking in interest of the Jewish community because he's Jewish. But you and I would know that when it comes to Christianity and this is the heart of where I teach and preach. And I don't I, you know, I know people don't get it. I'm in the midst of political issues. But my issue is always a gospel issue because my identity is supremely in terms of the person and work of Jesus Christ as well as him being the solution to all these problems. What else would you have to want to discuss or uh, comment on?
1: Yeah, yeah, but Dr. Boyce Walker is the black economist, and he was saying exactly what you were saying about the faults of the Black Lives Matter. Now, I'm the same age as Obama, so, you know, the, and i just seen the whole thing about Sean Bell when he was killed in the 1990s or 1980s. So, right. you know, those of us— Who've been saying Black Lives Matter long before this group and don't agree Absolutely. with this group. And, and um, um, oh, what was I going to say? Oh man! <laughs> but um, I I did read, I did listen to this author from Princeton, um, Professor Thomas Leonard, economics professor. He wrote a book about the um the progressives in the you know early nineteen hundreds, um, you know like Woodrow Wilson. But it's not yeah just Wilson, yeah yeah. Economic. And his book is called Illiberal Reformers. And the problem is the people who are progressive, they think they know what's best for um, certain people. And they, um, they patronize them, and they, they really don't think um, those people can rise above unless they um, do these things for them. This is called um,
2: socialism. This is Marxism. This is what I'm teaching on Friday. You can put another name on it, but the DNA is the same. Marx had a visceral, visceral uh, disgust for the for the bourgeoisie, the leading uh, uh, people, people in power, but he had a total disregard for the proletariat. I've said this before. You might hate leadership, but that does not mean you love the poor people. And this is what you've got with socialism. And this is why the present agenda, Nelson, it needs to be exposed and horribly set at naught and exposed for not working, not only in uh, in. Uh, in russia not only work, not working in, in italy uh under stalin and other countries it's not working here in america it hasn't been working here in america ever since the welfare system for us african americans we have to see that model of socialism failed us because as you stated it keeps you in victim mode it tells you you can't make it unless you get help and that is not a gospel narrative the gospel says by the grace of god You are able to triumph. You are able to victor. You are able to actually operate out of the freedom where where Christ sets you free. And with the grace of God, you and I can prosper. We need freedom. We don't need security. We need freedom. We definitely need justice to deal with all of the uh, broken uh, systems that are going on in our country. But what we don't need is we don't need a leftist, neo-Marxist cultural revolution, which is only going to utterly destroy everything. What I read earlier, and you heard it, concerning one of the founders of the Black Lives Matter, her whole agenda is to completely demolish anything biblical because Marx was an atheist. And so when Christians... Avow this system; they are avowing a system that is antichrist and contrary to the gospel. And 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 this is why I say, even when you talk about an issue like uh, police brutality, you got to understand that that is just run one train and on the whole litany of 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 caboose[s] connected to that train, to that system by which, if you embrace one, you end up necessarily embracing the other and the other and the other. And this is why, at present. Not only have we now had to embrace, you know, the revolution of of, uh, blackness, but now we're embracing the revolution of gayness and and embracing the revolution of of transness. It's all coming, and it's going to be a glaring opposition to a biblical worldview, and this is going to expose a lot of Christians for not being biblical Christians in their thinking, in their ethics, and in their proxies. I'll give you the last word before I let you go. Yeah, I
1: think— Real quick, I think the changing demographics, I do believe Trump is a racist, and i 'm a Lincoln republic republican, um, but i think I think the demographics are changing so much in America. I think that that stronghold of white nationalism that I think Trump and others have is going to be broken anyway, because like even Asians are voting eighty percent against the Republican Party now that has um, accepted trumpism that I think the, the issue is how how those who are um who are minorities who will be the majority will be the majority of americans will be non white um and more white people are dying in more majority of states than being born too that's not talked about a lot
2: i agree with Um, you there is a a growing demise of the uh caucasian in in america but that's not the battle with which uh believers rejoice or, um, or grimace. We are not fearful of the changing of the demographics. What we are always worried about is ideology, is worldviews. The uh, conglomerate of the different ethnic groups that are being swept up into the neo-Marxist cultural revolution are atheistic, agnostic, and mystical at best. They do not operate out of a worldview. They do not see the glory of God in Christ. They do not understand the need for redemption, salvation, repentance, and faith in the and therefore, they are a whole block of unregenerate men and women. And the church needs to actually be able to see them as a mission field for redemption and salvation versus uh, being afraid of the fact that inevitably uh, we may actually indeed become a socialist Marxist country. And Christians have lived in that kind of culture for uh, for millenniums. We can live in that culture. Uh, thriving, strong, vital Christians live in China. It's communists. Vital, strong Christians live in in uh, in in other parts of the world that are anti-Christian in Muslim countries and things of that nature. You you know that's the case. So we're not really worried about uh, the joy of the believer is not the fall of the white man. We are not Marxists. Thanks for the call, my brother. Let me go to line number. Um, I don't see a line there, but let me speak to Jorge in Virginia. Jorge in Virginia. Hey, Pastor,
4: how's it going?
2: I'm great, hey. Jorge.
4: Okay, I, so I got a question. So it has to do with this, and it has, doesn't have to do with it. I'll, I'll go into how I led to this uh, led to this question. But you know, we got so many things going on, and just observing everything that's going on. Everyone has so many uh, strong opinions on uh, sure with the black community and everything. And I watched this uh, Revolt uh, YouTube video. Sure. I had like Candice Owens, all these people, and it's just like words being thrown around, like you know, my people, our people, and things like that. And um, Matthew Matthew six has always been a been a a passage that I've always I've always thought about. Um, and Christ tells us to seek seek the kingdom of God, and so. I ended up getting leading down to this, you know, path of just like, like you know, thinking, okay, so like, where? How about you know, because we're, we're most of us are probably more concerned about what's going on in America and the future of America, the future of our children in America, and it kind of led me to think is like, should or should we be more concerned of this, or should be more concerned, you know, the future of our, our church? And I, I just ended up going down and looking at, I ended up looking at place three of, you know, what you know, the history of the Church and how we ended up where we are. Mm-hmm. And I found myself across um, asking a question, because uh, on John 17, uh, Christ said, I, I do not ask for these only, but also for the, those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, that I knew. And my question is, did Christ mean that literally? Did, did, he, did He mean that literally for all of us to be one, um you know to 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 seek the kingdom of God, or you know or is is it because I think we're winning this American culture of just like we we live our lives we have our faith and then we kind of just go on in our lives but are we as a church supposed to all like come together and we're supposed to put, put an effort into that that's my question
2: yeah excellent a- excellent question, and this is what if one would be able to list, listen for the theme that runs through my preaching and teaching because I can tell you do listen. Uh, The theme that comes through my preaching and teaching is always the exaltation of the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now, when he talks about oneness, he's not talking about uniformity, Jorge, meaning that we all have to dress alike, all have to act alike, or all have to express our Christian faith in a kind of wooden, uniformed fashion. But Jesus should be the priority of our life. The gospel should be the primary message that we communicate um, as we live in the world, because he said it in John 17, don't take them out of the world, but keep them in the world. We should be kept by the power of God through faith, so that what people know most about us, Jorge, is that we are absolutely lovers of Christ, lovers of the Word of God, and committed to the Bible as our uh, framework for uh, for for faith and, and living. And, and if the church were operating out of that, then here's what would be going on in America if the church were really operating out of a Christocentric ethic if the church were really doing Bible preaching and teaching, we would be suffering more, and we would be experiencing the ire of the ungodly secular system more. The leftists who are uh, antagonistic to a biblical worldview, which I am warning against now, if they take over, the battle will move from the group that they have sucked up into their intersectional uh, 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 tribe, to opposing everything that would be discriminatory towards how this world works see here's the challenge Jorge the believer has to be willing to talk about what sin is who are who they are that are under the dominion of sin and how that apart from a real vital faith in Christ, that sin will send you to hell. Now, the moment we start actually preaching Christ in the world that way, we're going to need the spirit of God because now we're going to be living a lamb's life and we would be unified in our message across the nation if we were prior, prioritizing what was important to God, seeking the kingdom of God. Means that we would walk in the kingdoms of kingdom principles, and Christ would be our King, and the world would know that Jorge is—he's primarily committed to wanting to see men and women saved and renewed because he knows that their salvation and renewal is actually the answer to all the brokenness in their life. And if police officers were saved, and if governors were saved, and if congressmen were saved, and if the president were saved, and if our school teachers were saved, and if our our entertainers were saved, then we would bring in the kingdom of God and we wouldn't have to go through these constant failed systems of politics that basically doesn't have the answer. And that's really what that text is meaning for you and me. But ultimately, the kingdom will come in full orb power and manifestation when Jesus comes. Listen, thank you for the call, young brother, all the way from Norfolk, Virginia. Got to take a break. When I come back, I'll close out with you, James, from the Bay. We'll be right back.
1: And now back to Lifeline.
2: All right, an article once again resurfaced about the co-founders of uh, the Black Lives Matter. One, Patrice Colors, confirmed that one of the uh, radical group's goals is to remove President Trump. A lot of people will be happy about that. But they were often also asked, "What are your what are your ideological views?" And, and Colors, having been asked that, she says, "We actually do have." And she, they're leaders of the Black Lives Movement. Uh, black lives matter movement we we really do have an ideological framework she said i myself and alicia in particular are trained organizers we are trained marxists she added we are super versed on sort of ideological theories In what we believe section of, in what we believe, in the what we believe section of the official Black Lives Matter site. You can find it for yourself. The organization calls for the national defunding of police. That's one. That goes to Ross's issue. And for the disruption of the nuclear family. That goes to my issue. The disruption of the nuclear family started with welfare. We call for an end of the systemic racism that allows the culture of corruption to go unchecked and our lives to be taken. The site reads, we call for a national defunding of police. We demand investment in our communities and the resources to ensure black people not only survive, but thrive. If you're with us and your name is on the petition right now, help us spread the word. We disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure requirements by supporting each other as extended families and villages. This is what she said. We foster queer affirming networks. When we gather, we do so with the intention of freeing ourselves from the tight grip Of heteronormative thinking from the tight grip of heteronormative thinking or rather the belief that all in the world are heterosexual unless he she they disclose otherwise and so it's very clear that their agenda is anti-biblical and all I'm saying is you can ride the Trojan horse against police but you're gonna have to continue riding it against the whole system that ultimately is a system that requires the end of a biblical worldview. And it's already happening. Let me see here. How can I do this? Let me uh, let me go to a uh, line number. I don't know what line it is. James from the Bay. We've we'll got, we got a few minutes left. James, are you there? Yeah, yeah. How's it going, just. I'm great, mm-hmm. man. What's your thoughts as we get ready to wind it down?
0: You know what I thought was interesting as I was listening to listening to you? Did you realize that... There's two different organizations, the Black Life Matters, and there's a Life Black Life Matters and a Black Live Matters. I didn't you know I was wondering which one came first. I don't know if you were aware of that or not, but it was pretty interesting when I was looking them up, I was researching, and there are two totally different organizations.
2: right, the first yeah. one is Black life Matters
0: Right, oh, Black Life Matters, right, okay,
2: but the, the second one, one is Black Lives, lives Matter
0: okay. And I didn't realize that, so you got, you got to always read and pay attention around. But which, which one has been around the longest?
2: Um, I'm I'm pretty sure the Black Lives Matter is the first one, and the Black Life Matters is a reaction to it. <clears throat> And that's where, I don't know, did you get a chance to listen to my uh, to the recording of the African American brother that challenged the Black Lives Matter in terms of do you care about black babies that are being killed every year uh, as the leading proponent? Four to one women, black women, four to one. Uh, are 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 aborting their babies every year it's a holocaust uh to the tune now of uh, of millions and millions of african american babies and the crowd basically whole hummed him on that concern did you did you catch that
0: i caught that I, I caught that and that's what happens when you start asking the serious questions right uh you know and i have to commend you for you know for just for who you are and what you do because it was interesting to the caller a few minutes, uh, you know a few callers back wanted you to get Roxy back on the line. And I could just hear in the dialogue last week that, you know, she attended GBC. It was like that was interesting because she made two statements that, uh, regarding you, you know, where she never really answered. I mean, I know you know it well. When she, exactly. You, know, you want to know why she was fearful, and then yep. she, you wouldn't answer why, or why you were privileged. And it was interesting right. because what you, what you brought out was your, not, you guys sort of raised your children in similar communities. You know
2: right. uh, I probably way. raised my children in much more of a dangerous and hazardous community than she did I kind of I know her know her family know her uh, her deceased husband loved them we, we have great relationships there are similarities to to our children's upbringing but I grew up directly in the hood I don't know if Roxy did so it's not like I'm on the outside talking about these issues I, I was a direct product of discrimination and personal police harassment um, all my life when I I was on the dark side I feared them once God saved me and taught me how to behave and respect authority I didn't fear them anymore but I did get I did get accosted by them from time to time and, and I understand what's going on it's just that we can't get trapped by a rhetoric of fear and victimization because it's not the gospel
0: and that's the answer right there is the gospel I was just going over second Timothy's account you yep. know, in uh, three, where it yep. says the, uh, where the time will come when we will not endure sound checking what we will not, excuse me, endure sound doctrine. we're already here. Yep, and, we're in there. Well, first of all, well, I think we can endure it if we begin to hear it. I think the yep. problem is we're not hearing it enough. You know, I, I think agree. we can endure it. And so, now, well, I mean, let me I mean, say it I
2: mean, like this: I'm not sure because you know what? I think you would agree with me that I am a relentless gospel preacher. Would you agree? Absolutely. Right. Okay, so here's what I want to say, because I know we only got about a minute to go, and I have to reflect, uh, Brother James, on the preaching ministry that I've engaged in, and God has opened that door publicly for me to preach. I challenge other preachers, you know that. I challenge a lot of our local preachers to actually preach Christ, and I warn about preaching pragmatism and preaching emotionalism and, and preaching moralism. I warn about peripheral doctrinal issues that don't have their roots in the dynamic of the person of Christ to not only save us but I've seen over the last 20 years of war- warning about a form of godliness denying the power thereof how the how that folks are still drifting 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 away even under the preaching that I do people are still operating out of a disconnect between the authority and vision of scripture and the influences of cultural ideology it's still happening notwithstanding good preaching taking place in the marketplace we're on the radio you know that it's not like i'm doing it in a corner um and we are still seeing the trends but this is why god calls for all of us you me and everybody else to stand upon the wall and to warn my people from me to warn the people from collapsing into apostasy from compromising from abandoning the message of the gospel from taking on another identity altogether warn them from me because first they go to sleep then they go away and that's what we're dealing with today apostasy in the church we need to be honest about that as well and to be prayerful hey join me on friday 6 30 GraceBible.com. Big conversation around these things until it's behind your out on clock.